Thanks for pressing play on the Real-Time 3D in Education podcast. My name is Mike Washburn. Energy is infectious. When a teacher has passion and is excited about what they're doing and can transmit or share or have that energy and passion and excitement rub off on their kids, there's really nothing that can stop them. And classes that have this energy, you can feel it when you walk in. If you're if you ever go into a school as a guest and end up in a class where the teacher is obviously just inspiring the heck out of their kids. And so you can feel that energy in the room when you walk in. You can feel that the kids are there excited to learn, excited to do new things, excited to try something they've never done before. And I got to say, I can't wait to have an opportunity one day to walk into Melissa Renchi's class because I think if you walked into that class, that's exactly how you would feel. You would feel this unmatched level of energy from her class, from her kids. And it's because she has an unmatched level of energy herself. And you'll hear that in this conversation. You're going to hear how she uses tools like Unreal Engine and Fortnite and even other tools like in, in making like 3D printers to just do absolutely phenomenal work and the sense of adventure that both she and her students have for learning and the lack of fear that they have in something not going right and their ability to adjust based on things that aren't going the way that they're supposed to is absolutely incredible. It's a lesson for people listening. And another lesson is the support she receives from her team, from the people she works with, and from her administrators. And so this is just an all-around incredibly happy conversation about what happens when you have the perfect storm of energy and passion and students that are teachable and really feed off that energy and passion. So when we come back, our conversation with Melissa Renchi. Melissa Renchi, welcome to the podcast. Well, honestly, thank you for having me. I'm excited to spend time with you and talk about gaming. Amazing, amazing. So I would love for you to share with me a bit of your background, your your kind of your history in teaching, um, how you got into, you know, STEM and technology um, education, because um, I think that would be a fascinating story. And then also what ended up leading you into this kind of real time 3D technology realm as well. I, I'd love to hear all of that story. So interestingly enough, um, like I had started back into teaching after spending about five years um, installing computers in libraries. So when I came back and that was in 2004, I was excited to get back in the classroom and I thought I wanted to work with adults. I had interviewed for a job with adults, but I landed in a middle school and I landed with colleagues and my students that were inspiring me. And so I really loved working with middle school students in media. Like I realized quickly that my dream is actually to work with kids and inspire them to work with projects. So 
you know, that was a, a wonderful thing that I was doing, you know, some game design. I was working with some projects in media. We were doing web page development back in the day, the little HTML content and mm-hmm. your image. And then I landed a side hustle where I was working for this company called um, Cyber Camps or Giant Campus. And I was doing summer jobs, of course, because, you know, that's what we do. And so they um, were teaching some content on Flash and so then I brought Flash into the classroom. And then I was doing more with a little bit with robotics and a little bit with game design. And at that point, we were using like Game Maker. So, you know, I started just kind of bringing some of the stuff in I was doing on the side. But it wasn't until I landed here at my dream school with a dream boss and wonderful people who inspire me all the time that I really started kind of taking all of that content and then also doing a certificate in game design at the University of Washington, like an extension program where I got to work with a group of game developers. And so, again, all of this is just kind of building up to me finding that niche of the things I love the most, working with students, giving them some content, but also getting inspired myself. So I ended up in, you know, all these opportunities, bringing all this content together. And so where I'm at now is we have spent the last four years doing kind of larger Minecraft projects with the focus on bringing Minecraft into other classrooms, you know, talking about the learning that takes place, putting the focus on my students as designers. I think that's the piece where... I found my niche is it's not about me designing content for other people. I love having students be the designers. So that's been Minecraft for a long time. But then, you know, we had Unity and students will often, you know, choose Unity to do projects. And, you know, I love watching them get into that project of being a designer in a different platform and choosing platforms. But then last year when we got access to Unreal and my students were able to design both with Twin Motion and use the Unreal editor, I all of a sudden had all of these different pieces that could all come together. And so now I find myself taking my Arduino unit that we've done every year always and bringing in Twin Motion into it this year. So I'm, I gradually start pulling all those pieces and realizing I can teach more integrated tech because of the platform that I think that is so adaptable for my needs. It- you said a, a lot of fascinating things there, and I, I was trying to fury, furiously write some notes down um, so I didn't forget because I, I um, we're talking and we can see each other. And so I can see into your room and you mentioned um, that you have 3D printers and I can see the 3D printers behind you even. Mm-hmm. And I would love to... Um, get you to, to to expand on that idea of your students as designers and creators mm-hmm. uh, of things and and the connection that you make with kids um, between the thing on the screen to becoming a thing in their hands yeah. or this tangible thing and the feeling that that elicits because I think that that's a powerful thing um, that that kids experience when they they say, look what I've made, and they can show people that. Um, And I think that there's some 
connection to not just 3D printing with this, um, because that's huge, but also this real-time 3D connection. Because again, you can look at this thing on the screen and, and it's and it's 3D and you can move around it and you can even make it move and have actions and animations and it becomes a living thing, right? That's That's gotta be incredible for your kids. I have to say that what it becomes for me is a a window or an opportunity for often my underrepresented people in STEM to see, wait a minute, I can 3D print this. I'm going to first cardboard prototype it. I'm going to draw out what it looks like. And then I'm going to 3D print this thing and I get to put it in my hands. And that's the piece for a lot of our students who've never seen themselves as a programmer go, oh, I'm definitely an engineer. Oh, I can definitely do this. My favorite story was with a student with Arduino. And I love to tell this story because it was um, it was probably 2015. And the reason why I say that was important was I watched her figure out how to make her LEDs light up and do it in a in a little succession. And so then I watched her pull out her Snapchat. She adds a frame around her Snapchat picture and then she sends it to her dad. She was so excited that she could do this. And that was exactly that, that hope that I want is for all of those kids that don't see themselves as an engineer, as they don't see themselves as a programmer, it's those people like you were saying, Mike, when they can touch it with their hands, where they can, and honestly, there's also a, um, a controller, a game controller that I have over here that's one of my favorites because they made a game for salmon that could spawn and they designed a controller that looks like a salmon. And they laser cut the cutout of the salmon and use, you know, a makey makey interface. But for the students, it was more powerful to design the whole like package of this product, the whole brand of this product for their game that they designed the controller to go with it. It's incredible. Yeah. And you you also mentioned and I think that this is a critical piece that I don't think we've talked about yet on the podcast. And that's the support um, that you feel you have in your school community um, with your with your, um, you know, administrators, your bosses, your your coworkers. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you maybe and I mean, you might have to dig back for this, but how you gained that support initially yeah. um and then how you built on it um i think one of the things that um um i think about a lot as someone that does you know works in stem at, at an ed tech company is is efficacy and, and you know really trying to like we talk all like bells and whistles and rainbows and sunshine about technology but in the end you got to show results you got to show mm -hmm. that this is working and i think that that's a huge piece of gaining the support especially of you know supers and people that make the decisions about whether they're going to give you a video game engine in your classroom or not right mm -hmm. and give you access to things like steam so that you can play games or like there's lots of you know, really cloudy areas for some teachers, right? And you seem to have gathered, you know, um, a lot of institutional support. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear you talk about um, how you got that support, how you held on to it, um, and how you've built it or grown it into into what you have now. 
I'm glad you asked, Mike. I always, I can never um, extol the praises of my boss enough. She has been so instrumental both in keeping me in STEM, but also encouraging me to be divergent, like to not go with the way that people would normally do things. And if I want to try something out, we try it out. She was the one who saw that we should have a ninth grade entrepreneurship class and that they needed my class to be a class where they can build stuff and design stuff and create course content. But she also saw that there's a value in me working with our graphic production teacher and our computer science teacher so that we're all like a team of people working collaboratively and we borrow things from each other. So for instance, we do isometric drawing for the students before they do 3D printing. They got to be able to draw it out and figure out what the sides of it all are going to be. Well, that was designed by um, a volunteer that was working with the CS teacher. So we brought that into the class. And then we kind of borrow files and, and ideas from each other. So my colleague, the graphic production teacher has a design brief project. So she gave me the design brief and I just used it in my last project. Like, what are you going to design? What's your kind of concept behind the design? Who is your customer? Like really good questions that really helped me. So I guess what I'm saying is, a good STEM program will be integrated content, but you're going to have a have the support of an administrator who says it's okay to push the envelope to have us try things because we're going to fail. And then I get to demonstrate to my kids all the time what entrepreneurship is actually like. It's about trying a product out and improving on it and iterating and, you know, changing things up so that we know that we have success. And then you mentioned it, the metrics, like how do we know it's successful? Well, I have some qualitative data, but I also have quantitative data, like how many kids are turning their work in on time? How many are, you know, completing the tasks? How many, when they get redirection, do they improve on their work? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love talking to you because one of the things that I think were very similar um, when I was in the classroom, you are an experimenter. Yes. You love to just do things and you it, it seems like you may not know where it's going to go or how it's going to go and um, you do it anyways. Um, and I did that so many times. I tell stories about using something like um, um, you know, uh, uh, the X code to get kids to try to make apps, uh, on their, on their Macs. And it was an, it was an unmitigated disaster. Um, but I did it anyways to try it. And, you know, I also, um, just to carry on that story, we, we scrapped it in the middle of the unit. Yeah. I was like, guys, this isn't working for anybody. Yeah. So let's move on and do something that's more fun. And, I would love to hear you talk about your experiences with being kind of a teacher experimenter, being unafraid of doing new things, even though you may not know how it's going to go um, and kind of how you navigate those waters. Um, and, and I guess it, 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 I thought of it because I think that's another piece that requires the trust of your, mm -hmm. of your administrators because they have to believe that, um, you're, you might do some crazy nonsense sometimes, but you know, um, th you know, that tr could turn into something golden, um, or, um, it could turn into something that's a bit of a dud and you're going to have the knowledge to know the difference between those two. 
I hope I'm using my laptop sound. So at some point you were probably hearing me laughing and I hope that was being picked up because I was laughing at you. Like, yes, there have been, uh, there have been failures and yes, there have been times when I'm like, Ooh, that didn't go over so well, but I think it is, it's constant coaching. Like I have a, a, an administrator who coaches me on how to do things better. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to model to our students. Like we're going to make some silly mistakes and we're going to make some mistakes and we have to be able to look at them. And like you said, evaluate real time. Oh, this isn't working so well. Let's adjust this. Let's make adjustments to it. And I think that's the, that piece that also ties into an experienced educator. Like you can kind of tell, you know, when, when things are not going as well or what can I, when should I step in and kind of help kids out? When should I step in? Um, you know, I was thinking about this with my kids when COVID hit and we as a school shut down in, you know, uh, March and the kids went home and we had a really good group of ninth graders and we ended up doing the same PBL but we got a chance to really coach our kids through what it's like to work collaboratively with people remotely. And I really think that was one of the years where I got to work with my staff members who were, we were all remote. We were connecting with each other. We were connecting with kids who were remote. And I mean, they did some outstanding presentations. Like one of the students were, you're going to laugh because one of the students was doing his, um, PBL presentation to judges, by the way, because we were able to get remote judges. He was able to present to judges remotely at the airport. Like you could hear him going through TSA and we were kind of like, well, maybe you could have muted at that point, but he had his phone ready. And there was another student who was having internet troubles on her, on her home laptop. So she had her phone ready. And what I think is what you see is kids will be flexible especially if they know that their teacher is okay with flexing, like they know that they can be flexible with me. There's some, you know, guidelines that I have, but that also means that they can come to me with some crazy idea and go, can I try it? And you get to say yes, because, and Mike, this ties back to the original question, because I have a boss that says the same thing to me. So I get to, in the same way, trust my kids are going to make some cool projects because I give them that freedom and choice. It's amazing how that carries over like and and it trust it i've said this on many podcasts on uh, many times i've been interviewed trust is everything yes. um and there's a there's actually a really good book by um Co stephen covey who's like a super well-known leadership person and it's called the speed of trust and i would recommend anyone to read that book because he just talks about how trust Trust is everything. Nothing happens anywhere in the world without trust. Um, and it's amazing how that that filters down um, and a culture, a school culture of trust mm -hmm. is something that that I didn't get a lot of experience at. But um, you can tell like people like yourself, um, Jim Pedrick, who we've talked to on this podcast, yeah. Steve, Steve Isaacs, um, <laughs> you know, the ultimate example of a school that just absolutely trusted him um, yes. on like with unimaginable things that he just did that yeah. no one else was doing. Um, and, and trust is is everything. So I want to pivot just a little bit um, to I, I guess I would love to now um, get you to share a little bit of what you, what you're doing 
in your classroom with this like great culture of trust mm -hmm. you have all of the technology that you could probably ask for you have a you know a supportive superintendent you have kids that are engaged and and you know what are you doing with all of that especially when it comes to things like using unreal engine yeah. um or twin motion or fortnite creative let's talk a little bit about what you're what you're doing well there's a couple of things that i i'm excited to tell you because i can tell you one of them is going to happen next month so by the time this comes out my kids will then know but what they're going to do is they're going to reach out to their former teachers and they're going to interview their former teachers and ask them, what kind of a world can I build for your your students to bring Minecraft into your classroom? I can remember when I was a student in your classroom. Here are some of the projects I remember. So there, it's going to tie into this entrepreneurship piece where they are going to have to be able to contact their teacher. They're going to have to be able to look at our district standards and address things for district standards. They may even be able to host the world. So they'll be able to kind of tailor the content for the teacher. It's going to be like an interview process where they find out needs and assessment needs. And that's the first big project. The second big project after Arduino is going to be um, a project with mixed reality. And what I want the students to do is I'm first going to find out how many of our students already have um, virtual reality, you know, headsets already. And I'm actually going to have them design a experience for a business. So they're going to contact a museum. They're going to contact a another a small business and they're going to ask them, can we create a virtual experience for you for your business so that people can experience it without coming in? And so then they what will I'll do is have them break it down into, OK, let's figure out the kind of businesses we have. And so then the way I have to kind of work around it is the person that has the headset is going to become our program, our project manager, or they'll be the technical manager. Right. So they can manage that piece because it's technically going to be theirs because I only have one HTC headset. And so you know, and, and we have tested it out with our machine. You know, we had to get kind of a beefier laptop. So we have tested out for there, but it's going to mean that our kids are going to have to work um, on a bigger project and they're going to have to manage all those assets and resources. But I think there's so mm -hmm. much potential for them, one, in conduct conducting a business and two, talking to making real life decisions and interviews. So it's kind of leaning them towards being, um, project managers and project and product developers on a, you know, a more realistic application and um, in business. You know, it's amazing. I'm going to have to release this episode after the episode with Ben Kelly, um, <laughs> because you have both talked about the exact same thing. Yes. Um, and that's, I, I love that about this group of educators um, that are that are thinking and working with these tools is that you're you're thinking and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this because I think it's critical this idea of connecting with the community mm -hmm. like not your school community okay. your 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 city and connecting with businesses and working with businesses almost Ben Ben even called it a side hustle um, like that that kids of the future 
you know, um, and we talked a little bit about like um, how some schools in Ontario anyways have garages like machine shops mm -hmm. in the high schools yeah. and kids are learning trade skills. But they also charge for this work to like to have like to repair your car. You can bring your car to a high school, some high schools in southern Ontario and get your car, your brakes done and you pay them like 40 bucks and they, they and it funds the shop. Right. Yeah. And so imagine this right as the skilled trades of the future that's what ben was talking about and and you're talking about something very similar imagine. By, by imagine that about providing this service to the local community um almost like a business and and you may not be thinking about charging or whatever but this idea of connecting with the community about again another example of tangible impact mm -hmm. of of schoolwork on the outside world um i mean that that community connection is is powerful right it is uh for me and the where i've seen my most um i want to say industrious or entrepreneurial students if i use the word they have been students who have actually created almost their own version of an internship where they contacted a business. It's typically a student in their in their freshman year as a rising, they're finishing out their freshman year, they're rising sophomore, and they've contacted a business and they've worked for them. And I keep telling my kids, like, start contacting businesses, offer to be a, a social media poster for them. Like, you know, like they could do that over the summer without necessarily being paid. And it could be a side thing, but they could become like helping out that business and doing their own version of an internship. And I think it's powerful to teach our kids that find a niche, a need that a business has, and you go out and contact them. And I think I could see that as the future of kind of seeing our kids kind of rise up and find where they can meet unique needs because they're going to have to be continue to do this as we watch how businesses are evolving and, and these, you know, side, you know, we talked about side hustles or, you know, these kind of gig economies are going like, you're going to be able to find a need that people haven't even thought of. And I don't mind telling you this because I kind of, I love to brag about the kids, but two of our freshmen came into STEM, came to STEM with already a business already up and running. One student had already 3D printed the content for her business. It's, I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it out here until later and see how she does. And then another student is doing a nonprofit work. And so they're both doing their own thing. They came here. They already had it established. They're already working on it. And these are kids that are rising freshmen that are doing this. Um, it's just it's impressive. And I do have one little thing to add to you and maybe it's a brag. Maybe it's not it. Um, there goes the lights. Um, I had students that are my, um, my graduate work was all about giving women the opportunity to do just what we're talking about. So when COVID hit again, and we were normally doing trainings, um, we would do some things we offered at the big brothers, big sisters, we had done some trainings um, at different places. My the six women that were featured actually went out to local businesses, uh, to a local library and contacted them and offered online training during COVID. And it was just an opportunity of 
following the work that they did and and just just sitting there and going you found a need you created this content it was so funny i contacted them and i go so what have you guys been doing this summer and i'm like you know everything okay and they're like oh yeah we've just been hosting these trainings we've had a few online and so my job as a researcher was listening to them as they trained all of these kids that would come online for sessions because it was all online but it was just amazing to watch them as leaders and the entrepreneurial piece was watching them say okay we've mastered this like we know how to create and deliver the content now we got to figure out ways new ways to create more content or reach out to new customers and that's the piece that i think is so amazing when you trust kids when you allow for kids you know back to our same you know circle that we've been having when we allow for opportunities for our kids to grow in the community they're leaders yeah yeah, for sure. So where do you go from here? We, we talk about the future a little bit on the podcast. I always end with this question. Wh- where do you see the work that you're doing um, in in the next few years? What do you, what do you think you're going to be doing with real-time 3D um, you know, design tools? Um, where do you think your classroom is going to be in the next five years or so? Um, what are your kids going to be up to? Uh, I see myself, and my dream is to kind of leverage this into a, a library, like a library maker space, but doing like you said, creating a library sp- maker space that's open to the community. Um, when I did my work, uh, my graduate work with Northeastern, they have a library service that's offered and it's not a library it's like a startup service that's offered so they invite people into the community or you know like other high school or other college students to come in and they'll go oh i got a great idea and they'll help you with your website they'll help you with you know your project plan they'll help you kind of get your business started so it's that idea of creating a space where people could come in with their their concept and they can kind of um, ideate, they can have some kind of coaching through the process. Like, what if we became a place where more middle school or or high school kids could come in and go, I have a great idea. Can you help me with making some logos or banners for it? And they're like, we're right here. Of course we can. Like, I'm just imagining a future where, you know, you could actually start having kids helping out other groups of kids to do some new innovative things themselves. So that's what I would love to see happen. Um, Of course, we know that we'll be designing for um, more uh, mixed reality. Like I know that's our future where I'm ready to embrace it with more content. Uh, We'd love to see more laser cut projects happening. So we're going to, you know, always be growing in terms of the skills. But I think it's that modeling of getting students engaged in the community and doing projects to help the community with their skill sets. Incredible. Loved every minute of this conversation. You have such great ideas and um, uh, it's it's been great to hear all of them on on the podcast. Um, Melissa Renchi, thanks so much for joining us. Well, can I say, Mike, thank you for this opportunity to think about it and express it and articulate it. Like, it's always like a brainstorming session. So I appreciate it because I love to start, you know, I like the ideation stage. This is a good one for me. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.